Well, thank you. It is, uh, it is a great honor to be here today. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. It might take us just a minute to find uh, the book of Jonah, a short book towards the end of the Old Testament. And we'll read in Jonah chapter 1 in just a moment. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here in chapel today. I love uh, West Coast Baptist College. It's hard to believe that it has been 15 years since I graduated uh, from the college here. And yet, Brother Weaver still shudders every time I walk past him. <laughs> I left him with some good memories. But I'm thankful for the administration here. And uh, I'm thankful for the student body, uh, those of you that serve alongside of us in uh, youth ministries and those who just serve around campus. I'm, I, I don't know all your names, but I'm thankful that you are here. And I'm thankful for our guests that are here as well. And uh, we hope that we can be a blessing to you. We're going to get right into it this morning. And so join me in reading in Jonah uh, chapter number one. And we'll read the first few verses just to begin. Verse number one, we read, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time that we have to come and open your word and hear from you. And I pray that you would use uh, this portion of scripture to challenge us and to convict us and to change us to be more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, we've turned to a familiar story in Scripture. In fact, if you grew up in church, perhaps this is one of the first stories that you ever heard in Sunday school. You go ahead and finish the sentences. Jonah and the... Jonah the whale, right? This is one of the first stories that we hear in Scripture. We're told about this uh, story uh, at an early age. And I, I have some pictures here of some children's book, Jonah and the Whale, Jonah and the Whale. And uh, the interesting thing about this, this, the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah and the Whale is that the whale or the fish only appears in two verses in Scripture. And it's understandable that we frame it this way because Jonah and the whale, what, what, what an amazing story that we're going to read here in Scripture. And so we frame the story this way, Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the whale, we're going to teach about Jonah and the whale. But truthfully, this is a story about a faithful God. We find Jonah, the fish mentioned two times, but God is mentioned 38 times in this short book. And so we read of this story and we turn to the story because this is the story of a faithful God. Let's talk about what makes this book so incredible. Jonah is an 8th century prophet, meaning he spoke on behalf of God. Not everything that he said was prophetic, but it was always a message from God. Jonah makes a brief appearance in 2 Kings chapter number 14, speaking of Jeroboam II. And, he, and we read, he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath into the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spoke by the hand of his servant Jonah. So, so here we find Jonah makes a brief appearance, and it's kind of interesting because in, we don't have time to dive into that passage, but in that moment, God spares Israel out of pity. Joseph or Jonah prophesies. Eventually, that prophecy would be reversed uh, in Amos. And, and so it's, Jonah's already kind of an interesting character when we come to him in Scripture. 
We find his name here, Jonah of Amittai. Jonah, the, the name means dove. And Amittai means son of faithfulness. And even his name is a bit interesting. Uh, a dove in, in Scripture, sometimes we, 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 we see the dove as a symbol of peace. Uh, well, in, oh, there's, a, there's another way to view a dove in Scripture. In Hosea chapter number 7, we read, Ephraim is also like a silly dove without heart. And so Jonah is, is kind of a book of twists and turns. And he's referred to as uh, a dove, uh, maybe because his heart is silly and, and son of faithfulness. And yet we read his story and we don't find much faithfulness. And, and then you come to the book itself and uh, we read in the book previous, in Obadiah chapter number one, we find the vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Then you go to the following book in Micah, and we read in Micah chapter number one, the word of the Lord that came unto Micah, and then we find this prophecy. But when we come to the book of Jonah, we, we hear now the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jonah, but then we find a story. The reason the story matters to us is because it reveals the character of God. A few years ago, we were going to Colorado to visit my great-grandmother. Uh, she, she was just a, a short time away from entering into heaven, and we wanted our kids to be able to visit with their great-grandmother. Well, Leighton didn't really remember her great-grandmother, my oldest child. And so on the way out to Colorado, what we did is we started to tell her stories. We wanted to tell her stories so she could know who her great-great-grandmother was. And uh, by the time we got there, uh, Leighton was happy to see her, and she knew who she I told her stories like this. My great-grandmother, my first memory of my great-grandmother was uh, my dad, actually. We were in a pool, and my dad put floaties on my ankles. I don't know why he did that. And then he threw me into the pool. And, yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like child abuse to me, right? Like, I, I don't know any other way to look at that. And that's how he threw me into the pool, and I don't know what kind of sick trick that was. But my grandmother was also in the pool, and I remember that she came and she, she rescued me and she rebuked my dad. I just remember that. That's one of my earliest memories of my great-grandmother. As I told my daughter stories about great, my great-grandmother and her great-great-grandmother. So that way, I told these stories to her so she knew who she was and what she was like and her character and her nature. So the book of Jonah tells us the story of God. And we see that Jonah is divided into four different chapters. We find God's prompting. We find Jonah's prayer to God. We find God prompting Jonah again. And then the last chapter, which most children's books leave out, records this conversation between God and Jonah. But there's a few lessons for us to learn. So let's jump right in. The first lesson is this, that God operates according to his divine purpose. Simply stated, God is in charge and God is in control. And God is operating to fulfill his divine purpose. And we'll read, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, thy great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up from before me. So God has a plan here, as he always does, and something that he's going to accomplish. Now a real quick refresher on how God works. We find in Scripture uh, many times the decrees of God. These are things that God is going to do, and he's not going to take an opinion poll before he does it. I'm thankful that God decreed creation, the decree of God. The flood, he didn't consult anyone, he, he decreed the flood. This is something that God decides is going to happen, and it's going to happen. And he can do that because he's God, and he's in control. And he operates according to his divine purpose and plan. 
But we also find in Scripture there are the desires of God. And these are usually indicated when we find, for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. So we read that God can do whatsoever he pleased that he did in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in the deep places. So these are the decrees of God. But then in Scripture, we find the desires of God. We find phrases uh, like such as, for this is the will of God, that ye abstain fornication, that ye give thanks, that you, that you honor and obey your parents. We know in Scripture that these are the clear desires of God. By the way, don't, don't miss the clearly spelled out desires of God. Perhaps you're here and you're visiting and you've got some questions about God's plan for your life. And sometimes we obsess over the unknowns. But don't, don't look over and gloss over the knowns in Scripture that God desires for you to have a life that is pure, that is holy, that is honoring to him. And so what we find in this passage is an intersection between what God is going to do. He's going to bring revival to Nineveh, but he desires to use a man to bring this revival. And so we find this intersection here between what God, the decrees of God and the desires of God. And God is going to extend grace to this Gentile nation. And his desire is to use Jonah to make this happen. More on this later, but God operates according to his divine purpose. What is the divine purpose? Sometimes we refer to it as the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is his control over all creation with his governance over it. Listen, we believe and scripture teaches that God is in control. I think this is an especially important truth for us to be reminded of even in light of the past few years, when things seem chaotic, when things seem uncertain, maybe your future seems uncertain, maybe you've got question marks all over your future. Listen, trust it to a God who is in control, a God who is sovereign and a God who is good. So God, at God's disposal is his omniscience. He knows all his omnipotence. He possesses all powers and, and he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. So we see that in this passage that God operates according to his divine purpose. And what he does is he perceives the wickedness of Nineveh. Verse number two, we read this. For their wickedness is come up before me. Now listen, our God is continually aware of the affairs of our world. When we read that their wickedness came up from him, it's not like he received a notification like we do on our screens. Every once in a while, I'll receive an ESPN notification. Any of you guys in here have the ESPN app on your phone? It's got that distinct tone if you don't have it on silent, and you know this is a notification from ESPN. Or a Fox News notification, and I'll know. I'm like, and sometimes I'll go and I'll read. I'm like, man, I had no idea that was happening. This person was sick. This person died. This, this person uh, was arrested. This person, this happened. Uh, this team won. This team lost. And I'm just then being made aware of it. Do you realize that God has never just then been made aware of anything? God is in control. And so now the wickedness has come up to him. It's not like he's uh, just been made aware of it. He knows what's going on. And the, the wickedness of Nineveh is, is come up before me. We read in verse number two. Now, Nineveh, it's the oldest and largest city in the ancient world. Incredible infrastructure. There's, they had aqueducts and hanging gardens and uh, a, a gate. I think we got a picture here, maybe of a couple pictures from Nineveh. Uh, a few years back when ICE was, was going through Mosul, they were just de destroying a lot of things that were uh, just ancient artifacts from the city of Nineveh. Uh, they had a large library in Nineveh, and I think there's some collections here on the screen. The 30,000 volumes in Nineveh, so it was a large city. It was a wicked city. Uh, they were part of the Assyrian army, and they were bad. I wouldn't even say in mixed company what they would do when they would conquer a nation. And so God is going to show compassion 
to Nineveh. This shows us the wideness of God's grace. I mentioned that we read the story, we learn of God, we know, first of all, he's in control. We know that he's long-suffering, that he would show his grace to this Gentile nation. So he prompts Jonah to go to Nineveh. He says, arise, go to Nineveh. So we said the first headline of this book is really that this book is about a faithful God. But the second headline in this book is that this book is about us. This story is about us. My, my daughter, Leighton, she has this book at home, and the book says, who is, this is the title of the book, who is the prettiest princess in all of London? And my daughter loves to read this book, and we read it a lot when she was younger. We'd read the book, and it would go through this mystery princess, and who is the mystery princess that's going to come to the ball? And he gets to the last page of the book, and there's a mirror at the last page. And Leighton loves that. And every time she got to the end, she would act surprised by the mirror, and she would see that she is the princess in the story. Now, there's not a mirror in the back of the book of Jonah, but there might as well be because this is also a story about us because in Jonah, we have revealed the nature, our nature, uh, as it relates to, to God. And, and so we see that this is a story of a faithful God, but this is also a story about us. You see, you see God operates according to his divine purpose, but the tendency of our hearts is to run from God. The inclination of our hearts, our flesh, without the controlling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the inclination of our hearts is to run from God. So Jonah is a representative character. Israel, if you know Israel's history, they're continually rebelling. So what God is going to do is going to serve a dual purpose. He is going to... uh, He's going to bring this message of salvation for the salvation of Israel, for, of Nineveh, but also for the shame of Israel. So we read in verse number one, but the word, for, now the word of the Lord, verse, and then we read in the next verse, but Jonah. See, this was, Jonah was a representative character. This was Israel at the time. God would tell them to do something. God would prompt them to do something. And Israel, Israel would rebel. And here, Jonah is doing what Israel has been doing. God prompts Jonah to go. And then we read, but Jonah, but Jonah. The same happens with us. God prompts us and our flesh pushes back. Our hearts have the potential to go rogue. Our natural inclination of our flesh is to rebel against God. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? Romans chapter 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so the tendency of our hearts, when God prompts us to do something, Our hearts, our flesh, the natural tendency is, I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. That doesn't look like fun. I never never signed up for this. I don't want to do this. And that is the natural tendency of our flesh. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that if we are saved, we have the Spirit of God residing within us. But the Spirit is opposed to the flesh so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so this is the struggle for us as believers. We have to understand that, yes, we have the spirit of God, but yes, we have to deal with the flesh every day. And the flesh doesn't want to do what the spirit of God leads us to do. And so God leads Jonah, but Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do it. 
Jonah understood God's request, but he would not accept it. He knew full well what God wanted him to do, and he chose to run. There's a sailing term, uh, and it is to cut anchor and run. To cut anchor and run. If, you're, if your boat is docked in a bay and you have to leave for some reason, maybe enemies are approaching or, or maybe there's a storm coming and you just have to get out of there, a term in sailing is just to cut anchor and run. That is to get out of there as quickly as possible. You don't have time to pull up your anchor. And this is exactly what Jonah did. He cut anchor. He untethered himself from the goodness of God and chose to run. I'm just going to get out of here and I'm going to run. So he chose to run from the presence of God. But Jonah rose up, we continue reading, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Uh, Joppa's modern-day Tel Aviv. I think we have a couple pictures here of Joppa and what Joppa looks like today. So this is where Jonah went. So God prompts Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah instead says, I'm going to go down to Joppa and I'm going to do my own thing. So he chose to run from the presence of God. Here's a couple pictures here of Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down to it to go with them unto Tarshish to flee from the, presence, uh, from the presence of the Lord. Now, why did, God, why did Jonah run from God? Why did Jonah choose to run from God? It was not because of fear. It wasn't because he was afraid. It was not because of distance. Let me show you a map here of where, uh, of, of where Jonah was and where God called him to go. Let's see this map here. So he's in Joppa. To go to Nineveh was about 550 miles. But instead... You'll see he chose to go on a ship to Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles away. So it wasn't just because of distance. It wasn't because of a lack of faith. We'll see here in just a minute. The reason that he chose to run from God was because Jonah had a competing vision with what God wanted in his life. This is the same reason that we rebel against God's leading in our life because we have a competing vision with what we want things to look like. I, I have at our house, I have a to-do list and I, have, I always have things to do and I never have enough times to do the things on my to-do list. So I'll write things on the to-do list, but every once in a while, I'll come into my office where my to-do list is written on a, 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 a little board and, and I'll find that my wife has taken the Expo marker and she has added to my to-do list. Like, like how could she? And not only does she add to my to-do list, because we're married, I guess we're supposed to do stuff like that, you know. She puts her stuff at the top of my to-do list. There are times where we've remodeled a room in our house. We've, and I've said, I, I think we should do this. And she'll say, no, I think we're going to do this. And sometimes we find this competing vision. Well, here's what I want to do. If I have a day off, I want to, I want to hammer out these things on a to-do list. But she's like, no, 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 this is, this is what we're going to do. And there's a competing vision there. Why does someone run from God? It's because there is a competing vision in their life. We said that God is in control, that God is divine, he's over everything. Do you realize God has given us his vision for what marriage should look like? It's found in Scripture. And yet many run from God because they have a competing vision of what they want marriage to look like. Or their life to look like. 
And, and we call this accommodating theology. When we change our th- theology, or we abandon our theology just to accommodate what it is that we already wanted to do. And this is what Jonah did. Jonah ran from God because he had a competing vision with what God wanted to do. And perhaps you're in here and God has been prompting you and leading you in a certain direction. Perhaps it's full-time ministry. Perhaps it's even narrower than that. Maybe he's leading you to the mission field. Maybe he's leading you into a relationship or out of a relationship. But he's made it clear to you what it is that he wants you to do. Are you following his leading or are you rebelling against it because what you want it to look like is different from what God wants it to look like? So make no mistake, Jonah ran from God because he had a competing vision with what he wanted to see happen. And we read of this. In Jonah chapter number four, we read, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled unto Tarshish. And so Jonah is upset. We're skipping to the end of the book. This is a spoiler alert. This is after God brings revival to Nineveh. Here's what Jonah's doing. He's upset with God who has just saved the people. And here was his charge against God. Here's why he is so upset with God. Because God, you did what you said you were going to do. He said, and this is him complaining to God, I knew thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance thee of evil. See, Jonah, before he even ran from God, knew the outcome of it and chose to run from God. He said, God, I knew you would do that. I knew you would show these people grace. See, Jonah's vision for his life had nothing to do with Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. He hated the thought of Nineveh. He hated the salvation of Nineveh. If if Jonah were God, Nineveh would have been obliterated. And yet God chose to show grace to Nineveh. Jonah knew the outcome and he hated it. By the way, I think it's interesting here. When he's, he's arguing with God, he says, I knew you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you would show great kindness and repentance of evil. I knew those things about you, God. By the way, all those things are correct. We do have a God that shows great kindness. We do have a God that is patient. He is patient with you. He is patient with me. And and what I find interesting about this is that Jonah's theology checks out. His theology is right. His understanding of God is correct, but his heart is wrong. This is why chapel is so important. It's not just about the classes, Thursday, Friday classes that we'll enjoy today, but also a heart check. God, am I, am I following you? Am I following your leading in my heart? Because yes, the theology was okay. The heart was bad. So God operates according to his divine purpose. The tendency of our heart, we have to recognize, apart from the filling, controlling of the Holy Spirit, the tendency of our heart is to run from God. There are some false teachers today that would teach that we have good hearts inherently, that we try not to be, uh, we try to keep them from becoming bad. Scripture tells us that our hearts are wicked. We don't have good hearts that we try to keep from becoming bad. We have bad hearts that can only be transformed by the power of Jesus in our life. And so God is in control. He operates according to his divine purpose. The tendency of our heart is to run from God. But when we run run from God, we may find that he will disrupt our agenda. So when we object to God's leading, he may have disrupt your agenda. The Bible tells us in Psalm 33, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the people to naught. 
He maketh the devices of the people to none effect. God knows all. He's everywhere. And he reserves the right to disrupt our agenda when we rail against him. And that's exactly what he does here. So what happens? We know the story. God, first of all, he sends a storm. Look at verse number four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the ship and there was a mighty tempest into the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. So this is a a violent storm that 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 uh, Jonah is experiencing here. The storm is violent. And in verse number five, we read that the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of it. But Jonah, here we find Jonah again. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship where he lay fast asleep. By the way, the rogue tendencies of our heart, when we rebel and push against God, it doesn't just affect us. Here, the entire ship is in peril because of one man's sin. Sin has an effect. Sin has a consequence. And unfortunately, that that sin and the consequence and effects sometimes will affect others. A family member, a spouse, children. We've all seen the devastating effects of someone's heart who went rogue against God. So God sends a storm. The storm is violent. And I, I think of a contrast. We find here in the Old Testament, we're studying the story of Jonah... Who, who went, his heart went rogue, he rebelled against God, put everyone in that ship in danger. There's a story in the New Testament of another store and another man named the Apostle Paul, and he's in a ship, and the whole ship is spared because of him. Who, who are you in your circle of friends, in your relationship, in your family? Are you the one that's bringing others up or, or putting others in peril? And so Jonah, we find him here in this violent storm. What is he doing? Verse number six, we read, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? How many of you are solid sleepers in here today? If you have a roommate that's a solid sleeper, just go ahead and point them out somewhere in here. Remember, I had a roommate that, man, he could sleep through just about anything. Well, here we find Jonah. He's sleeping. And, 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 and the shipmaster comes and says, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God. If so, be that God will think upon us and we will not perish. Now, why is Jonah sleeping? I don't know exactly why. It could be because his conscience is just seared. I also believe that running from God is exhausting. And here he is running from God. And I believe exhausted from it. And so here he is in the bottom of this ship, sleeping while others are in turmoil. The shipmaster says, come, get up, start praying like the rest of us. And then what God does here is God singles out Jonah. But look at verse number seven. And they said to everyone, to his fellow, come and let us cast not lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Basically, even a moment in the story where it looks like they're going to leave things to chance and Jonah's just about to get some bad luck. No, no, no. This is God in control, operating according to his divine purposes here. Even even the lots that are cast, God knew how that lot would be cast and the whole disposing thereof. God is orchestrating this story And singling out Jonah, who is next asked, look at verse number eight. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon him? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? 
So they have questions for Jonah. They're here, they're in peril, they're in this ship going to Tarshish, and they're in peril, and they cast the lots. Jonah is stuck with the lot. Now, now all eyes are focused on him, and they got questions for him. Where are you from? What are you doing? Who's your God? And look how Jonah answers here in verse number nine. And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which made the dry land and the sea. Now wait just a second. Read this verse with me again. Think of where Jonah is. Think of what Jonah is doing, and tell me if this verse matches with his life action. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. There's a little bit of a disconnect here, isn't there? Does it look like he's living in the fear of the Lord? Again, good theology, but his heart is bad. And I think we've got to stop and we've got to recognize that we grade ourselves on a curve, don't we? Here he is. The whole reason the storm is there, the whole reason that everyone's in, in peril is because of his sin, his rebellion. And then when given the opportunity, he says, oh yeah, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the one true God. I fear him and live for him. He made the heaven and the sea. And yet he's living in contradiction in direct opposition to what God had for his life. And so God singles out Jonah. But what I want you to see also in this passage is that God shows Jonah grace here. He shows grace throughout. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. So here we find that God doesn't always disrupt every time you rebel against him, but he reserves the right to. And here, he's going to, to disrupt Jonah's plans. So Jonah has a, 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 a vision that's competing with what God wants him to do, and God's going to disrupt that. Now, not every difficulty you face in life is a divine disruption. We read of an account in John chapter 9 where the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. So, so not every disruption is, uh, is a divine disruption. Not every time you run out of gas was it because you know, God's judging you because you turned your homework in late. You know, maybe it's just because you were stupid and you put gas in your car. Maybe that's why your car ran out of gas. So not every disruption is a divine disruption in this way. But here what we find God disrupting Jonah's plan. And that's his grace at work in Jonah's life. When God disrupts your plan, when you have a competing vision against God and you set out to fulfill that vision and things don't work out, do you realize that's God's grace at work in your heart? That is God at work in your heart. That is God's grace. So here we, we find that God lovingly and graciously disrupts. I'm preaching here Sunday night out of Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we find the wrath of abandonment where God turned over their minds. And here in this passage, it's a little bit different because God's disrupting. Listen, when God disrupts you, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you, that's God's grace at work in your life. That is a blessing from God. Even the fish that came was a blessing from God. The fact that, we, and we, we continue reading here in the story, we, we, we find that Jonah is, is it's thrown over and look at verse number 10. And the men were exceeding afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord when he had told them. 
And they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was temptuous. Verse number 12. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And so here ultimately... And we find the mariners, by the way, in verse number 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made great vows. And so here they are. Even these mariners are seeing that God is at work in this moment and this fish that comes. Even, even that is a, a God's grace at work, that he would, be sw- he would be thrown out of the ship but not drown. And so we see that in this, that God is gracious. But I want to end with this. What is our response to all this? Because I said that this is a story about us. So here's the overall picture. Let's review. God is in control. He's a good God, and he's got plans, and he's working plans according to his divine sovereignty. But our tendency, our heart, is to do what we want to do. We have an agenda, and our flesh has an agenda, and it's opposed to God. When we cut free from, when we cut anchor and run, we're also cutting ourselves off from the blessings of God. And that's what Jonah was doing here. So he cut anchor and ran, but he also ran from the presence of God. He ran from the blessing and the protection of God. So what is our response to this? And here's where we'll end. The appropriate response to God's grace in our life is repentance and obedience. Repentance and obedience. See, here's the thing. God invites us to participate in something that's greater than ourselves. Do you you realize that this, what God was, what God was, calling Jonah to be a part of. What he was prompting him to do, and where he's prompting him to go to preach, would be one of the largest revivals ever recorded in history. And God was inviting Jonah to participate in that. And Jonah eventually reluctantly goes. In Jonah chapter number three, we read, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Do you realize in the original text, this is a five-word sermon Uh, Here, Jonah goes and he preaches. Here's his message. 40 days, Nineveh, you guys are gone. Bye-bye. That's Jonah's sermon, right? That, I mean, no, Dr. Getch, he didn't take homiletics class, right? There's no opening illustration. There's no uh, kind remarks to to the city where he's preaching. No. 40 days, you guys are dead. See you later. You know what happened? God used it. Because it wasn't all about Jonah. It was God. And here, God can even take that and use it. And here, he preaches that sermon, and revival takes place. We said at the beginning that Jonah's name means a faithful son, and yet we find anything but a faithful son in the book of Jonah. I really believe in all Scripture. All Scriptures point ahead to Jesus. In, in Revelation chapter number 1, we read, And Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness? Luke chapter 2, or Luke chapter 11, we read, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonas. Behold, a, a greater than Jonas is here. Now, I look at the contrast between Jonah, Jonah and, and Jesus. And Jonah comes and looks over a, a city and hopes for its destruction. We find Jesus comes along and he looks over a city and he's moved with compassion. And so Jesus is greater. And Jesus invites us into a relationship with him and to participate in something greater. This is really why West Coast Baptist College exists. Because we recognize that God has a plan for this world. But God so graciously includes us in the plan. He doesn't need us. Scripture is clear on that. 
But God, who created you, who knows you inside and out better than you know yourself, has a plan for you. And as that plan unfolds in your life, he will prompt you to do things, to respond, to repent, to share the gospel. And that, that in and of itself is not something to run from, but to run to. The Bible tells us that God's grace enables us to live joyful and a joyful obedience to God's word. We're almost done. Titus 2.11, we read, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So this same grace that appeared to Jonah has appeared to all men, teaching us to live righteously. So God's grace enables us to live in joyful obedience. A few years back, we went on a trip. And at the time, uh, we didn't really have enough seats in our car for kind of a longer trip. So we rented a truck. I don't own a truck. I would like to own a truck. One of these days, maybe I'll own a truck. But I'd like to have a truck. I don't have a truck. So we rented this truck. And it was a Ford F-150. And it was a pretty cool truck. It had all the bells and whistles in this truck. And so we brought it home. My girls were so excited to, to have this rental truck. They jumped in it and ran all around it. We started loading the truck. And we, we, we pulled out of uh, the driveway of our house. And we were actually driving to Colorado. So it's about a 13-hour drive. And I remember the first thing that happened is I pulled out of, the, uh, out, of our, uh, out of our neighborhood. And I went about half a block. And I realized that the hood of the car was open, if you've ever done that before. It was making a rattling sound. So I pulled over. And uh, I pulled over into our same neighborhood. And uh, I got out to close the hood. And as soon as I got out, uh, my daughter Layton asked if we were there yet. <laughs> I'm like, no, we've got a long ways. We're still in the neighborhood. But then we kept on driving. And as we were driving, I got a phone call. It's about five minutes after we left. And it was Enterprise, where I rented the car from. And they said, hi, Mr. Chapel. We just want to check and make sure that everything's going okay. And uh, the car's working out. And it was interesting. The same, just at the time that they called, there was a few things with the car that I was a little frustrated with. I couldn't understand. I think I got a couple slides here of the dashboard. And the first thing that happened is that this car had a speed limit, not just like a normal speed limit. This car had a speed limit that was lower than the actual speed limit, right? And so this, this car would have a top speed of, I think, like 75 miles an hour. Now, that's a problem, right? That's a big problem, especially if you're traveling on an interstate, you're going a long distance, you're going to need to go over 75, try to pass someone if your car can only go 75 miles an hour. And so this car would tell me, you're nearing the top speed of your vehicle. And I could see the speedometer could go well past 75, and yet it would limit me right at 75 miles an hour. That was frustrating. The other thing that I, I realized in that car is that if you unbuckled the car seat, even if, you're just, even if you're just in the gas station getting gas, what it would do is it would mute the radio. And it would tell you, buckle back in, and then you can listen to the radio. Now, this is also a problem for us, right? And, so, and, I, and I wear my seatbelt. We wear our seatbelt. But there are times where you need to unbuckle, and it would, just, it would just turn off the radio. So this guy calls from Enterprise, and I said, yes, I have a problem with this truck. This truck thinks I'm a teenager, right? It's imposing all these rules and restrictions on you. And they said, oh, we know what happened. There are two keys to that truck. There's, the, there's basically the adult key, which lets you drive like a real human being. <laughs> and then there's the my key access. And the my key is a key that you can program. 
and give to your teenager to drive that car. And I'm like, okay, that stinks. Well, how do we fix it? And he says, we can't fix it. We don't have that other key here. And uh, we don't have any other trucks coming in. So you can come and get a minivan if you want to. I'm like, no, (laughs) I already drive a minivan, right? I've already been humiliated for most of my life driving a minivan. I'm not going to go take this in. And and he said, you're just going to have to deal with it. So we drove the whole way there and the whole way back. It was kind of a caravan with our family. They would drive ahead and we'd have to meet, with, meet up with them at every stop because I couldn't even keep up, right? We'd pull into the gas station. I'd be mad. I'd open the door, unbuckle, the radio would turn off. The whole trip. Now, here's the point of this story. That truck got my compliance. I had no choice but to comply. This last year and a half has been crazy. Mask mandates, vaccine mandates, you know, checks here, checks there, uh, negative tests here. A lot of compliance, right? A lot of compliance issues. A lot of people trying to get people to comply. This truck got me to comply. God doesn't want just our compliance. He can get our compliance. He did this with Jonah. He got Jonah to reluctantly comply. But God instead delights in our obedience. And that's the bigger picture here. Jonah made it rough on himself. Because when you back up, really what God was doing, God was coming to Jonah with this awesome opportunity to participate in this national revival that was going to happen. And Jonah pushed back and Jonah rebelled. And so God made it uncomfortable for him, disrupted his agenda. But ultimately, Jonah just complied. God doesn't just want your compliance. Maybe you're in high school today and you think this is, it's all about rules, it's all about compliance, it's all about what I can and can't do. You are missing the picture because the much better way to live is to live in joyful obedience to what God has for you. On that same trip, and we're, we're done. On that same trip, we went uh, back to this area on our, on our farm on, on, on Colorado, our family farm. I got this picture of Layton. Not the same trip, this is the same trip with the truck. We got there, and she wanted just to run. Well, there's these cliffs there. He could fall off, and he can get hurt. And I would always grab Layton's hand, and she would try to run, run right, for, right towards the cliff. And I always had to stop her. And she got frustrated with me stopping her. And what she didn't realize is that she thought she was running for her life. She was actually running from her life. If I were to let go, she would, she'd, be, she'd be hurt. She'd be, uh, she could be drastically hurt. And here's the thing with Jonah, and we're done. Jonah thought that he was running for his life, but he was actually running from his life. He was running from the good plans that God has for him. 